Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly Nolan, your podcast host. And before jumping into today's episode, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Today is our last episode of 2023. It's our 43rd episode this year. It's our 181st episode since launching Out of the Hourglass in 2020. That is a lot of conversations and a lot of listenership on your part. Thank you for being a part of this ride. It's been really fun on my end and a a privilege to be a part of this project. I've enjoyed all the conversations I've had the opportunity to have. I've learned so much as being a host and, and being able to ask questions. I look forward to what's to come in 2024 and As always, welcome your ideas and your feedback and guest reach out. If you want to be a guest, let's connect. I also want to thank Carter Todd, our engineer behind the scenes who helps pull everything together and release this podcast every week. Carter, this podcast cannot be done without you. So thank you. Now, on to today's episode. We are bringing back Mike Shannon. Mike is the founder of TriFit Business Development and also a sales coach here at Nolan Consulting Group. Mike shared with me an article from Objective Management Group, OMG, which is the pioneer and industry leader in sales team evaluations and sales candidate screenings. We've talked about OMG here on past episodes and and talked about their sales insight assessments. But this, this conversation today is a review of this article that Mike came upon, and the article is called The Ultimate Sales Coaching Guide, The Data Behind the Sales Managers of Elite Teams. We will link this article in the show notes for those who are interested in reading more into it, but we talk about the significance of sales managers in an organization, the impact their coaching on the sales team performance has and the the attributes of a successful elite sales team. Mike interweaves his own experience while talking about the article and the data coming from OMG, and I wanna thank him for, for partaking in this conversation. We hope you enjoy. We look forward to connecting with you more in 2024, and we hope you have a wonderful holiday season. All right, let us dive in. Mike Shannon, welcome back to the podcast. How are we doing this morning? Thanks, Molly. I've got my workout in this morning, so I'm ready to go. Very good. You are, I know every day you are disciplined. Up. Your, what time What time do you go to, to your workout class? So pretty much a 5.30 a.m. class or 6 a.m. ice hockey. I played hockey two days a week, so that was this wow. morning. But we're up at 4.45 to make that happen, so. is still the middle of the night to me, Um, but I'll digress. (laughs) It always was for me too. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm I'm happy to have you back um, on the podcast. I know you've been doing a lot of sales coaching with a lot of different summit members from sales jumpstarts to sales team coaching to um, some sales peer groups. So you came across recently a, a white paper uh, from Objective Management Group, OMG, yep. talking about the ultimate sales coaching guide. And it really stood out to you and it warranted a discussion. Happy to uh, break that down a little further detail today. 
Cool, cool. So before we do so, I think it's important to kind of lay the groundwork to the conversation because a lot of this white paper really focuses on kind of the role of the sales manager and how that role is so critical to the success of a sales team. So in your eyes, what is what what role does the sales manager play in an organization? They're actually the conductor of the orchestra. You know, the sales team are all the musicians. And as a conductor, they've got their eye on the big picture ball. And whether that's, you know, recruiting additional staff or recruiting so that you can upgrade the staff, um, just the whole focus of the organization, uh, you know, there's three pillars, if you will, within any successful organization. That's the EOS thing, right? That's mm -hmm. operations, it's finance, and it's sales. And yet what I've found, and there's good reasons for it, most companies kind of let sales just sort of happen. You know, they there's nobody running the ship. So that's why I think sales managers, the most important person within a sales organization. So we know that, I mean, for a lot of the clients that we work with, there are sales managers that that companies have and then a lot of companies struggle to, to to fill this role and it it it's a role that as they grow the organization they grow the business becomes more critical um where do you often see the critical need for a sales manager role to exist what level or what size company what or, or what what uh, amount of revenue and sales are you saying sales manager might be needed here to, to kind of take things to the next level? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that somewhere in the two to four salespeople range. Okay. So if you have two, you know, you don't need a manager. Uh, if you have three, uh, ideally one of those, maybe one of those three is in a transition mode to become a manager when you have four or more. I would say you need a manager for sure. And, uh, but of course that's a challenge for most summit members and sales dollars. I, I'd say somewhere in the three to $5 million range. Okay. So that's a team. When you have two to four people working within, you know, a similar function, you've created a team and that those people yep. need, they need leadership within that team. So this this white paper from Objective Management Group, obviously the Kickstarter for for this conversation, you know, focuses on those behaviors that they deem a sales manager needs to be, you know, successful. Um, first off, this white paper is available online. How can people find this? So if they want to explore further, I would say they contact, you know, their customer service person within Nolan Consulting Group and and just ask them. Um, so Objective Management Group was founded in 1990 by a guy named Dave Curlin, K-U-R-L-A-N. And Dave is still running the company to this day. He actually also has a sales training and development firm called Curlin and Associates. So it's kind of like his R&D lab, you know, for everything okay. he does with the OMG sales DNA assessment, he kind of, you know, pilots it, if you will, or experiments with it in his, in his own sales training development company. And um, OMG was recently acquired 
by a private equity firm. So Dave is now publishing all of his blog posts through Curlin and Associates. But if you just look up Dave Curlin, he's got over 2,000 blogs that he's put out about sales and sales management. And so this white paper, because it was written by Objective Management Group, is actually still within the uh, Objective Management Group you know, series of white papers. There's probably a half a dozen or more that have been published over the years. So, but I would just say, you know, the safest thing is, hey, contact your Nolan person and ask them. We can also put it in the show notes um, for the podcast as well Great. in order to to make it a little bit easier to, to um, access. I had a chance to read it myself uh, yesterday and I found it really important and also really um easy to digest and be like, yeah, this is absolutely makes sense for, for a team dynamic to work. Um, the, the findings that we're going to talk about, obviously they they come from the data that OMG has gathered over the last 20 plus years, 30 30 plus years, 33 years at this point. Right. Which is actually funny not to call out my age, but I'm seeing in our notes here, I'm seeing 1990 and I just, that's the year I was born. And I just thought <laughs> I was- Now we know I, how old you are, Molly. <laughs> I just thought I was 20 years old and reading 1990. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm yeah, 33. Yeah. So OMG has been around um, since the day I was born. As long <laughs> as you were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in, in that time, in my 33 years of life, they've collected about two and a half million assessments. Is that correct? That is correct. Between- New hires where we're screening sales candidates and existing sales members of a company, it's 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 right at 2.5 million. A lot of assessments. Yeah, it's a lot of data. A lot of data. So these assessments are are um, offerings that we also provide to our clients here as well, the sales insight assessment. So uh, folks may have heard us speak to this assessment in the past. I mean, Mike, you and I have done a conversation or two on this. Andrew has spoken to a lot of our sales peer groups about this assessment offering. Um, so this might be a little bit familiar, but the what is the, the goal of this assessment, Mike? So... Through a lot of research, Dave Curlin determined that none of the assessment tools on the marketplace, and there's a lot of different personality assessment tools, and I could name a half a dozen of those. There's DISC, which we use yep. extensively because that's a great tool to help accelerate the, the process of building relationships with folks, um, but none of them were truly predictive of sales success. So the difference is a personality assessment might determine, can somebody sell? The objective management assessment determines, will they sell? And there's a clear distinction between can and will. And used, you know, the way uh, OMG designed it, um, and they named it obviously before texting was a thing. So you always got to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they determine what is a recommended for hire sales candidate, for instance. And 
if you recruit and use this tool as designed and only consider recommended for higher candidates, there's a 90 plus percent probability that that person will still be there a year later. And then the top half or top third of your salespeople. If you hire from the not recommended category, it's a 75% chance they're gone in six months. Wow. It's pretty incredible validation studies that have been done numerous times on this data. So it's it truly is predictive. So the data, obviously, that this, this article is really based off of um, has some credibility based upon the, the assessments and the, the magnitude of how, of how far reaching it, it has gone. Yep. Yep. And it, so we use it for screening and we use it for developing existing teams. And I always say, and I was going to make this point at some point in this uh, discussion, if a sales manager has this information about his sales team, it will accelerate their coaching of an individual by at least a year, maybe two, because understanding the things that get in the way of their effectiveness and understanding the skills that they have currently can really enable you to, to create a totally custom development roadmap by individual person. And, you know, it would take a couple years, arguably, of observation to come to the conclusions that you can get with a 45 minute assessment once you understand what that information is. So I love that you used the term or you said it will accelerate the sales manager's coaching of the individual because at the end of the day, I mean, kind of from the start of the conversation, sales managers have to be coaching. A, part, yeah. <laughs> a, a core part of their role is to help is to help their their sales reps through through a coaching behavior. Yep. Which is maybe why this article stood out to you so much, and you 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 really kind of found some passion around it. But tell us in your own words why this particular piece of work is so is worthy the, of discussion. The assessment um, talks. There's one number in the assessment called sales percentile, and they look at 21 core competencies and then come up with a number that represents where this individual, whether it's candidate or existing salesperson, falls in the 2.5 million people that have ever completed it. So if you're in the 90th percentile, you're pretty much a rock star salesperson. If you're in the 30th percentile, you know, there's going to be, take a lot of effort to develop you, et cetera. So Part of the evaluation is also looking at sales managers. And one of the questions is, how do you spend your time? And you touched on it. O OMG, with 30 years plus of research and, and just understanding, I mean, these sales experts that sell OMG are all around the world. Mm -hmm. So this is a international or global, uh, globally used tool. And it's been determined that a sales manager should spend at least 50% of their time coaching another 10 to 15 holding people accountable and another 10 to 15 in motivation. So you add it up, it's like 75% of their time should be spent with their team. The reality, not, not so much. The reality is there's, 
you know, almost 10% of sales managers spend no time coaching their team. And another 40% or so that spend, you know, a portion of their time when they're asked. So they're not proactively reaching out to their team. And that's just a sad state of the world um, that sales managers just, you know, one of our questions to talk about today was why don't they do it? The yeah. reason they don't, the, the reason they don't do it is because they're caught up doing a bunch of other crap, nonsense things, sitting in production meetings and things that don't drive sales. A lot of owners feel like, you know, the sales manager is sort of a catch-all. You know, he has to help other people with projects. He's got to run the company events. He's got to do all these different things, none of which are developing the sales team. And for one of the three pillars of an organization, it's it's kind of sad, but that's just the reality. You have spent some time in the last year or so as a fractional sales manager or you know sales team coach with several organizations um, that we work with here at Nolan Consulting Group. Is this because they those companies did not have sales managers at the time, and you were coming in to to fill that position? Pretty much um, three different companies come to mind. Um, one had never had a sales manager, just brought on two new salespeople. So I was able to take both of those through the Jumpstart program. So we okay. built that foundation. Uh, the second had three existing salespeople, but no sales manager. The you know the owner of the company was acting in that role. And you know by his own admission, not really doing it right. Mm -hmm. And then the third uh, is a larger industrial commercial company that has multiple estimators and a couple of salespeople. One was brand new and they've never had a functional sales manager in their company. And so each scenario was different. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of those companies I work with for a minimum of six months and I think the, the growth of two of them is in excess of 30% and one's in excess of 60 or 70%. Not sure where the number's going to end up. So I think we were successful in identifying the need and the function of that role for all three companies. Mm -hmm. The question is, you know, when can they afford to appoint one of their staff or possibly hire an outside sales manager. So um, we just changed the name of the program from fractional sales manager to sales team coach. And the reason that we did that is because a manager really needs to be in the field with their team coaching on a daily basis. And as a remote sales manager, that's impossible uh, for me to do. So we felt like the the title sales team coach, I'll still run weekly meetings, still do essentially what I did with mm -hmm. these, you know, th multiple companies, but uh, we're just kind of changing the, the perception of what the outcome would be. Got and it. I'll be, and I'll be coaching, you know, the, the ONG assessments, part of all those, those engagements. So I'll know what, buttons to push with each individual salesperson to try and help them become more effective. So. I think it's important to share that because you're, you're in it 
you're working with with companies in this environment and seeing the dynamics of uh, you know the things we're going to discuss here, how how critical they are to the success of that team. There was a, a statement kind of from the start of the the article that says coachable sales teams are winning sales teams. And what stood out to me is that you could be coming in as a great sales coach or I'd be a sales manager who's passionate about coaching. But if your sales reps aren't coachable, there lies the first problem. Yep, potentially. What, so ensuring you know, that coachability is a key component, you know, of this, pro, of this, this, this process, what determines coachability of the team itself? So one of the evaluation uh, criteria findings that OMG comes up with is whether a person's coachable or not. And okay. they ask, they ask questions about, you know, do you think your skills are maximized? Do you think you can get better? You know, and I don't, again, I don't evaluate the actual quest, questions that they ask, but in my experience of looking at thousands of these assessments, the majority of salespeople do come back coachable. So that finding within OMG, you know, is affirmative. And then the, so this white paper is, I think they evaluated 11,000 different sales teams to come up with this data. So they're looking at salespeople and the managers. And one of the important findings is that there's three components to establish for a manager to establish with their reps to help them be more coachable. Mm -hmm. And those three are trust or respect and having a relationship. And so when the managers have that, and that's actually part of a larger assessment that we look at when we look at a whole company, one of the findings in there is, are the managers, or does the manager think they have a trusting relationship, a, a respect relationship and, and any relationship with the reps? And it's pretty funny because the managers are way more critical of themselves than the reps are. So it appears from the data that I've seen, and this is just an ad hoc observation, that those three factors are not generally an issue. You okay. do end up with um, what we will call a lone wolf. So really super strong salespeople above 90th percentile, they can be a challenge to manage because they're good. They know they're good. They can be a little job hoppy and they're maybe not so open to coaching from someone. You know, if that's the case, you look at those individuals and I had two people in that category in the past year and one absolutely wanted to hear nothing I had to say. Ironically, he would pick up things and then repeat them back to me. So he was, he was more open than he was letting on. Yeah. Uh, the second guy who's also a rock star, like couldn't get enough and was like constantly giving me feedback. Oh, this is great, Mike. And he called me one time. I, 
I, I just wanted you to know I was thinking about you. I was on this call and I was asking for an introduction referral or whatever it was. And he goes, and your voice was in my head. <laughs> so, so it, it varies, but you know, if you've got somebody that's that lone wolf and they're producing, you just kind of let them go. I mean, you know, you just support them and tell them how great they are and, and uh, just leave them alone more or less. Just, you know, try to help if they ever ask for help, check in all the time. But uh, so generally, I would say that there is trust, respect and decent relationships between managers and their sales reps. And if there's not, that's the first place that a sales manager needs to start. I would, I would suggest, right. Is to, to make yep. sure that you're, you're working on establishing that trust that, that those reps know that you are on their team, that you want to see them to succeed. If a manager is able to convey to the rep that they truly have the reps interests at heart, even arguably more than their own personal interests, then you know, that's where trust and respect, you know, comes from. And if, if they're helping the reps develop skills that are helping them be more successful, then, you know, who wouldn't want to hang out with that person? You know, they're, right. they're just there to help me. They're, they're coaching me they're teaching me, they're encouraging me, they're supporting me, you know, that's, but it's, you've got to be in the field with them yeah. every day. You should be, you should be a, a good manager should be talking to every rep every day and, and traveling, you know, with every rep, at least every week. You talk about, or the, the article talks about um, responsibility and outlook Two other, you know, components or assessment pieces that are included, you know, in the insights report, how are these impacted, you know, for better or for worse, when the trust, respect, and relationship exists or doesn't exist? Yeah. So when you talk about responsibility and outlook, there's three categories of findings in the assessment. One is what we call will to sell. So we used to call those strengths. And it's desire, commitment, um, motivation, and then outlook and responsibility. So those are the five categories in the will to sell, the, the strengths area. And when trust and respect and relationship exist, those scores for people taking responsibility for the results, good or bad, and their general outlook are higher and I look at when I'm doing a group uh, group assessment, I've got multiple salespeople, when I see either lack of responsibility or bad outlook on multiple people, that's a leadership issue. That's pointing to the fact that the manager accepts excuses or they don't feel like he or she has their back. And therefore, their outlook about their job or their company is not what it should be. So those two are, are and before this article, I never put those together, that, you know, that relationship, trust, respect um, would impact individuals' responsibility and, and outlook, and yet 
for years I've been looking for trends or tendencies to, to identify problems at the leadership level. So I've kind of known it, but never knew it, if that makes sense. No, it, it, it does. And sometimes it's, but you, there's this thought, but you don't know what how to, you don't know how to put your finger on, or you don't know how to you don't know how to name it. What's the word for it? What's the origin of it? Yeah, right? what's the origin of it? What's the cause. So right? The article says that you know when a a rep has developed responsibility, and they have a positive outlook, the two create a virtuous cycle for performance improvement. The salesperson acknowledges that their own shortcomings are impacting their results, and believes they can perform better. This opens the door for a trusted manager to begin a targeted, frequent training plan. Couldn't have said it better. Dave Curlin. Dave Curlin. Actually, Dave Curlin. yeah, it might have been Dave. I don't know who wrote this particular yeah. white paper, but uh... it's a it's a line that we had to, we 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 had we had to to read word for word because it, you know, it speaks for itself. And they acknowledge their shortcomings that are impacting their results and believe they can form, perform better, opens up the door for a trust manager to begin targeted, frequent training. So I guess the question then is, what's what frequency? Right. right? Yeah, the, the article talks about um, coaching frequency. So you have the, you've established coachability. You've established trust, the relationship, the respect. You've set up an opportunity now to be able to coach. But then you're right. The question is, how often are we coaching? Is it ad hoc, on demand, when a situation calls for it? Or is it weekly, monthly, biweekly, quarterly? What's the right answer here? It's daily. It's daily. Or multiple times a week at a minimum. And when people, when sales reps are coached multiple times or several times a week, I think the article says, you know, as much as daily, that sales percentile is 17% higher than people who don't get any coaching or ad hoc minimal coaching. I mean, that's, you know, almost 20% increase that's huge the article calls it high frequency low dosage what what kind of coaching activities are high frequency low dosage every day that a manager's working with a rep they should be doing one of two things either free call planning or post-call debriefing and they should be using a structured methodology such as the Sandler system that Nolan has been using for years mm -hmm. and just using that as the guide okay how well did you set the table what sort of conversation did you have around pain discovery or their vision for the for the project you know, what happened when you asked about budget? How did you ask about budget? Or how are you going to ask about budget if it's a pre-call planning thing? So that's the daily high frequency, low dose, because you just focus on one thing at a time. Do you think that 
that coaching frequency, the, the high frequency, low dosage, does that also help to continually build trust? A hundred percent. I mean, if, and look, nobody likes role play, but one of the best ways to determine if somebody really gets it is to role play. And so, you know, in my experience, I've been saddened, I'll use the term, by the inability of reps to execute, even setting the table in a role play scenario. And I mean, if I'm managing a group, I'm going to stay on that one thing with that one person until they can finally nail it down and that they you know, are comfortable with, you know, saying thank you, you know, for your time, allowing for inviting me in. That's key coaching words, inviting me in. And, you know, we set up for 45 minutes today. Is that still a good time? So you want to confirm they've still got the time. What were you hoping to accomplish today? What would make this a great meeting for you when I'm getting ready to leave? That's getting their agenda. And then setting the expectation, you know, we may decide in this meeting that we're not a fit. You might decide that or I might decide that, you know, maybe based on the fact that we're not typically the low cost provider. You know, we, we sell value, not price. And, you know, that's the, doesn't work for everybody. So when we're done this meeting today, we're going to make a decision. A, a am I going to quote, you know, the project and B that you're going to let me know what your decision is. So setting the table like that is something that I, reps really struggle to do. So I'm not moving practice. <laughs> yeah. I'm not moving off that one until, you know, I, I hear them do it pretty well in, yeah. in a role play environment. And then, then you move on to, okay, the discovery conversation, then the budget and then the decision process and setting next step agreement. It, so Nolan has what we call a sales call debriefing checklist or, or sheet. And I give that to all of my reps that I'm working with and say, guys, at the end of the day, I want you to grade yourself. How did you do at building rapport? How did you do at setting the table? And that allows me not being present with them if they do it to kind of hone in on what, what areas they need the most work with. So it's just the tools that, you know, that we offer really do provide a great um, structured environment for people to coach. Right. I think that's actually probably one of the biggest takeaways here is that there's content to coach on. You've got, yeah. you've got the, the assessment, you know, results, you, you're having there, your the daily conversations and understanding, you know, what's happening in real life with, with jobs, with bids, you're having the sales checklist, you know, results come back through, so you're able to identify, you know, where it is that you can spend your time as the coach. Yep. Yep. And, you know, typical salesperson, high eye, you know, chatty Cathy. Yeah. When we get nervous, we talk a lot and we get in front of prospects and we talk a lot mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to invert that 
70 percent me talking to 30 percent me talking or even 20 percent i mean that's the most successful salesperson they've just asked a ton of questions and that's not our human nature we tend to want to talk when we get nervous and you can't help but be nervous you're in somebody's home and you know all that stuff so yeah it's only a natural feeling unless you're jim falk you know you've <laughs> been doing it forever so. <laughs> it's like uh Jim can Jim can sell it asleep. So the the white paper states, you know, from their data, 38% of managers are coaching on demand, while the rest is divided among different frequencies of, you know, quarterly, weekly, daily, sometimes never. Why the the on demand section, which is, you know, where a lot fall, is something I want to explore. Why do sales managers fall into this on-demand trap? Obviously, it still works from the data. Like on-demand Better coaching, than nothing. Better than nothing. Still effective, but not as effective as you know the daily high-frequency, low-dosage. What gets in the way of consistency? It's a bunch of crap meetings. <laughs> That's right. You did. You said this a little bit earlier on. Yeah. And, and so um, I've become a pretty vocal advocate of a couple of books for sales reps when it comes to prospecting. One is Jeb Blount's Fanatical Prospecting. Mm -hmm. The second is New Sales, period, Simplified by Mike Weinberg. And Mike Weinberg happened to also write a book called Sales Management, period, Simplified. So it was a follow-on to his first book. And he goes on, uh, I felt like it was multiple chapters ranting about all the crap that sales managers are asked to do that doesn't drive revenue. So, you know, it's it's just a lot of stuff that's, and I don't even know why it happens, honestly, but it's, you know, I, I there's, you know, you could say ego. Uh, the owner's egos getting in the way and, you know, expecting sales managers to do all this miscellaneous stuff that doesn't drive revenue. I mean, it's, you know, we have an expression in the sales training world, make prime time pay time, you know, eight to five or whenever reps are in the field doing their thing, the managers should be focused on the reps and not, not the rest of the crap. So and as, you know, and if it's the business owner who's acting as the sales manager, that's impossible to do that well. Period. End set match. <laughs> Never going to work. Never going to work. Well, it's it's almost as if, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but by it's like we're not honoring the the coaching need if we're. And, and what their true role is in that environment if we're piling a lot of other responsibilities on their plate. Coaching matters. Coaching creates results. But we don't always we don't always honor that. Yeah. And you know, you think about it, I mean, as sales reps, we we all have bad habits. I mean, I I literally sold for 25 years. And I would tell you that I didn't know the first thing about sales because I never had a manager. And I was just, you know, hey, I'm honest. I have high integrity. I work hard. I'm going to work. Nobody's going to work harder to get you the information you need. 
and I, I didn't understand the dynamics that are so important today you know with the internet everybody's got information at their fingertips they don't need somebody just spewing information at them they need somebody that's stopping them in their tracks and getting them to think a little differently than where they were heading and you know they always say people buy from people right so that's that's never going to change unless it's purely internet-based transactional thing or you know retail where you just walk into a store or whatever and buy what's off the shelf but how do you build it how do you develop good relationships with people in a short period of time. There are techniques that you can learn and practice, such as adapting to their communication style, understanding DISC, for instance, that can truly accelerate a potential client's comfort with you and ultimately their trust in you. And that's, you might think that everybody understands that and knows that, but that's not true. <laughs> How? How have you established trust? I mean, not only in the work that you've done, you know, before you were a sales coach for Nola Consulting Group, this has obviously been your world, you know, founder of, you know, of, of TriFit Business Development, but also yep. now, now coming into organizations where you are a temporary sales team coach. How do you create that? Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I... I think one of the most important things you can do is be an advocate for the sales team with the company. So a good example is I had a new sales guy that had started working about nine months be you know, before I was in full swing with them and he was, had a salary, you know, decent base salary, but he expected to earn two to three times that based on commissions and eight, nine months in, he hadn't received any commissions because it, it's a lot harder to close some of this higher end industrial commercial work that he was chasing. Um, he heard big numbers and thought, Oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to buy that new house next year, you know? And it was like, yeah, slow down cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was not executing very well. The, uh, the Nolan uh, Sandler sales process, but uh, we, we came to grips with that. But so I went to the company in any case. And I said, you know, this gentleman, he's getting frustrated. And he's closed a few deals um, that are going to net him commission. Can we pay him a draw starting now that's recoverable against commissions, but at least it's going to let him see an increase in his cash flow on a monthly basis and encourage him that there is a return you know, on his effort. And so when I did that and it, they, they looked at his bookings and his pipeline and said, yeah, we're, we can do that. I, I think that dynamic with this individual change, you know, not that it was, a, was ever a problem in the first place, but I think he's like, okay, Mike's got my back. Yeah. You know, that's the trust that we're looking for. And that goes back to, I mean, the outlook component, I mean, by you being an, an advocate for what he's doing, you, you, you see him, you know, tr trying and showing up and, and making progress, not necessarily, you know, not in the timeline that he's looking to, to, to get that commission, but you have just, you have just added some positivity 
to his outlook for for his role and and, and the relationship in working with you. Yep. And you know, look, people think sales is easy. <laughs> you know, if it was so easy, everybody would do it, right? Yeah. And there's no other job in any company where you deal with the rejection that a salesperson deals with every single day. And, you know, it's, we're not here to talk about that, but it's, it's, it's tough and it's tough to stay up all the time when you're dealing with that rejection. Recovering from rejection is one of the six weaknesses that we evaluate. We call them sales DNA. And, you know, if, if, if you struggle with that, you got to find a different career. <laughs> You know, it's never going to go away. So let's move into kind of the the finale of the of the article per se, where you know we've we've talked about coachability, respect, you know, um, trust, the 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 need for the coaching frequency. We have all these things, but then what does the report speak to about you know looking maybe high level at an elite sales team? that has these behaviors in place, what are some other attributes that need to be highlighted that pay, pay a big part in it being so successful? One of the findings, which this was new to me when I read it, when a manager coaches their team to get prospects to make a commitment or, or get them committed to making decisions, that those teams that do that have 40% more top 10 percentile sales teams than when the, the managers don't coach their, their teams to that. And I mean, that's, that's an incredible finding. Why is this so predictive of that success? What about that particular part of the sales process determines that, yeah, that so, number? So the, the authors, speculated that if you're coaching to getting a commitment from your prospects, they're probably coaching on a bunch of other importing skills as well. Like, you know, uncovering compelling reasons to buy and thoroughly qualifying the opportunities and presenting a need and cost appropriate solution at just the right time. That requires active listening and challenging insightful questions and the ability to push back uh, on potential stall tactics. So there's an accumulation of skills that, you know, one of which is getting people to make a decision, committing to make a decision and letting you know, so you don't get ghosted. <laughs> um, if, if the manager's coaching them to that extent, he's probably coaching them on a bunch of other stuff as well. And that's why it's just one data point, but it's pretty indicative of a, of a top performing sales team. What else does the data show? I mean, that's can't, it can't just be that. No. And, and so the managers themselves, um, they have a, a set of beliefs and, you know, in addition to evaluating managers on their coaching skills and motivating and holding account accountable, um, a, song, a long list of, of skills that they should have, we're also looking at their beliefs. And so, for instance, one unsupported belief that a lot of managers have is I've got, I can't let my salesperson lose a piece of business. So they come riding in on their white horse and try to save the day and, you know, 
kind of a lot of times will undermine the rep and that kind of diminishes the reps credibility with the prospect, but that is the wrong approach. When you rescue your reps, you're actually doing them a disservice because what do you learn more from victory or failure? When things don't work, that should be a stepping stone to learning what does work. If you go in and it's easy sale and you nail it, you you close the deal, you know, without any real effort, you haven't really learned anything. Maybe you executed so well that, you know, you may have already, you may be that good already, but chances are you're not. But when you lose a deal, now you get, okay, why did we, what, what question did we not ask? And so that's an unsupportive belief that managers have. And then just in general, a passion for coaching, which, you know, the, the article describes how if a, a manager also sells and if he's got extra 15 minutes, is he spending that time on his own sales or is he spending that time coaching one of his team? And somebody with a true passion for coaching is probably going to invest in the team because they want to see, they want to see that whole orchestra perform to the absolute best of their ability. And that actually, how do you know if your coaching is effective? You look back at your team every month or every quarter and say, yeah, by gosh, they're, they're better than they were a month ago or a quarter ago. It's funny. I find that true, even for the work, you know, the, the, the larger work and the larger coaching that we do here at NOLA Consulting Group. I mean, there are some times where we have to say, oh, we need to focus on Nolan Consulting Group and on our business for a minute because we, our coaches are spending in their discretionary time, it's so focused on our clients yeah, and, 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 and the success of our clients, which of course is, there's, there's a good reason for it, but it's because our, our coaches are so passionate about yeah. coaching and they want to practice. They want to be the practice of the coach. But sometimes we have to also remember that there are, there are other you know responsibilities, but that's what I think makes a good, I mean, you're right. It helps to determine success here. The, the, the individual, that sales manager has to love the coaching component. Why do you love coaching? What, <laughs> what, I mean, what makes you so passionate about the work that you do? You're a sales coach. My transition to becoming a sales coach probably started 15, 20 years ago. And I've always coached my kids' sports teams growing up. Um, but the funny thing is when I took the OMG assessment in 2007 and it chewed me up and spit me out, <laughs> didn't confirm I was the second coming to a sales, you know, salesperson yeah. or whatever. Uh, it actually determined that I had lost my desire to be successful in sales. So it recognized that my desire was being replaced by wanting to mentor the next generation. And I don't know how the assessment figured that out. It took me a while to mm -hmm. a admit that the assessment was accurate about myself, which is the toughest thing for anybody to do, to be objective about ourselves. Yep. And then uh, realize that, you know, when you, I had one rep that I was working with and she, 
just embraced the stuff I was teaching. Wasn't even in a sales role, but started doing sales activities at night. And by the end of that year, they had to increase her salary by 50% because she was wow. building her own book of business. And then a year after that, uh, another company came after her and I probably shouldn't say this, but, um, you know, because they wanted her to, it was a big insurance company, totally unrelated industry. And, uh, she went to the president of the company she was working for my client and said, what should I do? And he goes, just give him a ridiculous number, you know, give him, give him a crazy number that, you know, you would consider going for. So she more than doubled her original salary threw that number at him. And they said, okay. And then she's like, now what do I do? He goes, take the job. Wow. <laughs> More than doubled her income, you know, in the span of uh, less than two years. You know, you hear a story like that. I'm like, okay, that's all the incentive I need uh, yeah. to, to know that I'm having a positive impact on people's lives. And that's a transition that some people get to later in life. They just want to mentor the next generation. So that's, that's me at this point. I love it. To, to round us out here, you know, for those sales managers who are listening or business owners, anybody who's listening, who, who sees themselves in, you know, in this conversation or knows that there could be change, what are some of the first things that you, that they can do to reshape their approach to this, this coaching, this coaching culture really? Yeah it's it's really simple just get in the field get out in the field do ride-alongs have conversations on the way there you know how are you how are you going to execute this call and then debrief after the call and and do role play on things that need help and come back a day or two later and do it again and do it again and do it again repetition is the mother of learning so it's it's commit to coaching every rep on your team every day i'd rather set that bar and miss by a couple of days than say oh i'll just let it happen you know ad hoc or intermittently or whatever no just schedule the time and make it happen and then the second thing is because of the acceleration of understanding on how to coach a rep a specific skills and and weaknesses that get in their way or lack of strengths i'd have you know get the omg assessment which again nolan started offering in 23 so mm -hmm. it's um there's so much information there it, it can probably take a manager a couple of years honestly of using that data with all their reps to really understand specifically how to coach people but once you do, I mean, there's some really low hanging fruit that you can jump on pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a multi-year development opportunity with each and every rep personalized to them. And it's objective. I mean, they, you can all, we can do what I did and argue that it's not true, yeah. <laughs> but, but it the comes, reality, yeah, it, it comes back around. <laughs> it comes back around and, you know, again, being honest with ourselves is, some of the biggest challenges. So, yeah. Well, I, I feel like this conversation is is happening at a a nice time because we're you know we're talking. It's middle of December. This episode will be out before the end of the year. 
and it's a kind of a good, I know that, you know, new year's resolutions don't always, don't always work, but I think that there is some good kickstart energy here to recommit, to rethink how we want to spend our time as sales managers going into 2014. Yeah. And so we're doing this, uh, you know, the workshop right. uh, tomorrow and Thursday, and that's on self-generated leads. But I picked up uh, an expression uh, that was coined by Sun Tzu, the Chinese philosopher, the art of war. And he said, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And so what we're talking about here is, okay, what is your strategy? My strategy is I want to coach every rep every day. Okay, what are the tactics that you're going to use to do that? Because we want quick victory, not slow victory. Right. And, you know, it's that pre-call planning, post-call debriefing, using the Sandler sales call checklist as your methodology, and then digging into the things that are getting in their way within the OMG assessment. And, you know, just speaking to that desire to be like or discomfort talking about money, you know, the things that prevent us from being effective in our sales roles. So um, that's my my two recommendations. I love it. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, again, we will, we will link this article in the show notes um, of the podcast. Mike, thanks so much for your time, for, for bringing this to our attention and kind of pulling it apart and, you know, interweaving with your experiences in this world. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Molly. It's always always fun to visit with you and, and it, share some I thoughts. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, I look forward to the next opportunity to do so. And have a blessed holiday in the yes. next couple of weeks. Thank you, Mike. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.